I started to talk to you about authentic sonship. And I really rushed it last week. Um, and I want to make sure I bring everybody on the page because this is such a critical moment for us as a church that we understand why and what God was saying and is saying. So though I won't cover everything I covered last week, I'm going to pick up from last week. So if you wasn't here last week, I really, 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 and one more really, encourage you to get the CD and pick up where we are because this involves your life. Authentic sonship, Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came and said to them, or Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Wow. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the end of the very age, or to the very end of the age. And last week we started our journey on, on discipleship, started talking about it because this is what God has talked to me about and spoke to me about, about for us as a church. It's a Tony, you must enter into discipleship. Everything will polarize around discipleship. Everything that the church is and is becoming depends on discipleship. Amen? It really does. And I know it's something that we're all aware of, but we don't take much notice of. This is a core key ingredient of your growth. Because this is what he told the early disciples to go and do. So that you can become a disciple of the Lord Jesus. How many of you know the church, it's probably fair to say right now, the church probably has more fans of Jesus than it has followers. Has a lot of fans. People who raise, you know what fans do? They raise their hands. Scream, shout, support you while everything's going good. And when they don't feel so good, they, they, they pull back, they draw back, and they end up in a cave. How many of you know fans are fickle? Fans are emotional. Fans are very unstable in their emotions because it all depends on how the moment makes them feel. And if you're a Man City fan, you know that that's true. Certainly two years ago. But we can't be fans. Jesus didn't come to create fans. He came to create and raise disciples. We're not fans. There's so many fans in churches today. As long as you pay for them to get in, as long as they, they turn the lights on, as long as they make it all you know, at the front, they'll all sit there and shout and scream, but they're not followers. Because once the music fades, they go back to their old life. They treat the church like an event. It's an event. That's why the church is full of programs, because it's event-driven. It's not relationship-centered. And they hope through the event, a relationship will be, will be established, but it doesn't. Why? Because... Though it might start here, it also needs here to keep help continue it. You need to, do, to build disciples so that they can keep the relationship and hold the relationship. Amen? So we're not event-driven. But it's amazing how many churches have become event-driven. So, here we see. Are we moving? Oh, James? Not moving. Well, you'll have to turn it for me. Can't get the staff, can you? Actually, Ralph, just check I've got the batteries in the right way. <laughs> oh, it's gone. Oh, it's working. Oh, no, that's because he moved it. See if I've got the batteries in the right way. Typical, hey? What like him? The Bible says, go. The first word of Matthew 8, 28, 18 is go. Go means to be trained, to be sent, to be released. To go, go means to be trained. Go means to be trained, to be sent, and be released. Is it me? You don't know. Just make me look good, don't you, Ralph, every time. To go means to be trained, to be sent, to be released in a specific direction under pastoral covering. 
You can't just do anything and go anywhere. Yeah? If you're trained and discipled, you'll have a covering. You've got to have a covering. So you can't just do what you want, go where you want. Some were sent and others went. The disciples were sent, but others went. Amen? So we see the first word, go. Well, in order to go, then he says this, make. So to make means to produce. Your life is meant to produce something. How many of you know that? He didn't say, I'll make you fishermen. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. There's a big difference. To make you a fisher of men means process, work, hard graft, discipline. But they didn't need to be made fishermen. They already were fishermen, some of them. True? So it's a go and make. That means your faith and your deeds must come together. Your, your works is what produces greater faith. And your faith produces greater works. So a work without any faith is called a social gospel. But a work with a faith means you have a message. You're not just doing a good work. You're trying to introduce them to someone. True? You're trying to change their life. So then he says, go make, then he says, what? Make what? Disciples. Very clear. That means he's very specific about what he's trying to make and what he's trying to produce. We're not making convert believers or fans. We're making committed, discipled, life-changing believers. You've got to be very clear what you're trying to produce in church. We just want believers... We just want people to attend. That's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants disciples, not committed attenders. The church has already got committed attenders, but God is trying to raise disciples because only disciples will change the world. And then he says, where? I love this, all nations. There is one nation that God has not given us permission to reach now we might need a specific word to get into that nation but there is no boundary as to what nation can't come under this mandate even when a nation gets split and gets a new name it's still on God's agenda take that nation take that nation there isn't a nation that does not qualify for this amen and then he says this this is where it starts to change baptizing Baptism is very powerful. Why? Because it's the, it's the outward sign of what's taking place on the inside. It's a public testimony of what is taking place, that this discipleship and the fruit that's coming in the disciple's life is beginning to bear fruit. It's not about just dipping in water. Three things must speak over your life. Three things, not three people. The blood the spirit, and water. The Bible says three, these three things speak over the disciple's life. That's why you must be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Baptism is not an option. It's not a choice. It's a command. It's amazing how many Christians, the Catholics will say, well, it'll take you four years before you're ready to be baptized. Why exactly? When we used to have the, the Iranian church, Omid could not get his head round the fact that we could baptize people the day they become believers. Well, no, they've got to go through this class and they've got to go through that. And you've got to wait two or three years. So I just opened up the Bible. Repent and be baptized. What part of college did it mention? It's on the confession of their faith, not mine. It's your faith, not mine. So when you get baptized, how many of you know when the Ethiopian eunuch got saved he didn't go through a class the moment he got saved he got baptized how many of you know the fact the jailer in prison with Paul and Silas the moment he came out he got baptized and all his family and all his household got saved Paul didn't have time to take him through a class but you see this is this is where institutionalism want power and they won't let you just approach God you have to do it on their terms but discipleship can go all the way. 
And then he says this, in the name, so baptize, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. Oh, if we can just discover the name, the power of his name. The power of his name is where all demons tremble. All power and authority has been given to us. That means you've been given full validation to go and get, use his name. See, many people use his name in vain. Curse his name. But we know that when we lay hands on people and we say in the name of Jesus, his name's working for us. It's not how good you feel. It's not even about what you feel about his name. It's about using his name and having faith in that name. Amen? You see, I've got faith in this key that if I put it in that radiator, it's going to let some air out and eventually it will get to the water. I have faith in that key. It'll do it. Would you all agree? That faith will bleed those radiators. Right? I've got faith that when I use the name of Jesus, it'll let everything out that shouldn't be there. Amen? Then he says this. And here's the part where discipleship really hits the road. Then he says, teaching them or training them, yeah, to obey my word. Teaching and training in order to bring your life into obedience is discipleship. It's not attendance. To be trained and to be taught how to walk, how to obey, and how to advance the Christian life takes discipleship. Yeah, that's a good place to say amen. Yeah, we're talking about you now. Talking about you right now. We're talking about you. Unless your life goes under some kind of training, you will never become a fruitful disciple. You'll never. At best, all you'll ever become is an informed believer. At best. But to become a true disciple takes training, takes time, takes process, takes work, takes discipline. Why? Because... Obey that teach them to obey my commands. How, how many of you found it difficult to obey his commands? That's why this morning many of us were in the cave. Because we found it difficult to obey his commands. And then he says this, because I have given you all authority. Can you imagine inside you is all authority? All authority. Wow. All authority. So does, there's no realm you can't speak to. There's no realm that can't hear what you're saying. Every realm understands the name and the person that's in your life. Every realm. Spirit, soul, and body. Because the word of God is living and it's active, it's sharper. Right? So the living, God, the living word that's inside you, which spoken out of your mouth, everything has to obey the word. You've, given all, you've been given all authority. But many of us... Expect the only word that has authority is the one that comes out the pastor's mouth. It's not true. But when you're cursing somebody, don't you say it with full authority? True? You believe in the power of your own voice when you're cursing someone or cursing something. But when you're speaking it in faith, you think, well, I'm not sure if it'll do it. Well, God, can you heal? Yes. Pat was a, an example. Then he says this. Because I will be with you to the end of the age. That's a promise. That's a promise. That God is going to cover us, protect us, and provide for us. God is going to cover us. He's going to protect us. And he's going to provide for us. Because that's his guarantee. Go and I'll be with you till the end of the very age. What can separate me from the love of God? Nothing. That's why he says I'll be with you till the end of the age. I'm with a disciple. I'm never with a fan. Because a fan will, will drop me. Soon as, soon as a fan smells danger, he's run. He runs. But a disciple will stand. And Jesus said, that's where I put my name right now. I'm going to put it in that person because they are a disciple who will stand for me. So we see that discipleship has a very specific agenda. To go, to make. To make disciples, to teach them. To obey everything I command. Teaching them to obey with all authority, with all power. So that wherever they are, wherever, they, wherever they'll be, they'll always find my presence, my provision, and my covering. That is very specific, is it not? That's not just general. That's very specific as God wants to, to, uh, to use, to, to develop, I should say. So there must be a time in your life where the Holy Spirit begins to encounter you. 
and takes you from a believer into a disciple. See, for seven years, I was a believer. Was it the monkeys who sang that song? Then I saw his face, now I'm a believer. No doubt in my mind, yeah? There's a lot of doubt in my mind. I'm a believer, then I saw his face. When I saw his face, I became a disciple. You see, we can sit in church and I can get Chris saved on the street. So he's saved, is he not? Has he got the same inheritance that you've got? Everything got downloaded into Chris's life the moment he received Jesus. True? Now, but he's a believer at this point. But now I've been told to go and make a disciple. Yes? So we have to change the believer into a disciple. Do you see that? The believer's one state, one place, one position, but then you've got to make a disciple. And you've got to teach them to obey. See, as he's, as he's learning to discipline his life and obey, he's now becoming a disciple. Why? Because he said to Jesus, he said to the guys, come and follow me. Discipleship is going in a direction. It's not coming to church. It's going in the, it's going in the way that Jesus is leading. Because if we teach them to obey every command... Right and teach him other disciplines and other technologies and other things about the word, he'll rise and become a better man. But if he stays as a believer, at best, all he'll ever be is informed. True? The church needs disciples. Not fans, not believers, but disciples. And this is the crux of why the church seems to fail in some nations, but advances in other uh, nations. You see, the evangelist can do his job. And in one preach, he can let his nets down and bring in thousands. But without the training, all the harvest will never be truly reaped. Because if all those people go back to their old ways, what benefits that? There's no benefit. And many of us were never encountered. And this is something the Holy Spirit has been really speaking to me about. It's a tone, if, I true, if you truly want me to come and change the life of the church, I need to encounter the people in it. And I see that right across the church. The Holy Spirit is encountering us crazy. And it's only going to get more and more intense. Why? Because he's demanding more and more of us. And the more we give of our lives to him, the faster we'll rise. Healings will break out. Miracles will break out. Territories will be taken. I tell you. It's not about us. God starts with us in order to move and touch others. Amen? So we need to be encountered. The Holy Spirit needs to be able to encounter your life. Now, this is the point where discipleship now takes you from discipleship into sonship. So we now make a distinct transition from believing, a believer, to a disciple, into, which is a saint, which in now... We move into sonship because you've received the seed, but the seed has not yet been developed. Once the seed gets developed, you become a mature son. See, when my baby gets born, your baby gets born, if it's a, if, let's just say it's a boy, it's a son. But it's not a mature son yet, is it? But it's a son. So as I then develop my boy and teach him his father's ways, he becomes a mature, disciplined son and every child follows his father's ways until he becomes his own man now for some that might be around about 12 or 13 yeah and then he only wants to partake of the good things of dad but then he's got his own will so then you have to influence him and bring him into discipline encourage him to come to, su to subject their will to a higher will it's called dad's authority true that's the same in the spirit the same in the spirit the more you become a discipleship it's all about you submitting your will to the father's will and God listens to your tantrums just like a teenager and just like a teenager you'll say you and I you need an encounter because you need washing because you stink all the analogies of teenaging of teenagers can be used in the spiritual Go and wash, you stink. Go to your room, you're mad. Don't talk to me while well, you're just like that. Go and change your language, change your posture. 
Go and change everything. Everything that you said to your kids is the same thing that God will speak to you. Read Hebrews 12. And anyone who will not discipline their life is called an illegitimate son. And I won't use the word that it uses in the King James. But it begins with B. I don't feel comfortable using that word, even though it's biblical. 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 Right? I don't feel like using that word. Even though I'm fully able to use that word, it don't sit right with me. But that's the term for someone who's illegitimate. And we have too many illegitimate sons in church. Why? Because they bypassed discipleship. Now you see, here's the interesting thing. There comes a time where the Holy Ghost has to encounter you so your life fundamentally changes. So you cry out. The spirit within you, sonship, begins to cry. Now what happened was, is when I went to Australia and I took Scott with me, Scott was in the environment of the supernatural, let's just say it was highly intensive in Pastor Peter's church. When Pastor Peter came over and did our agents that changed with me, we saw the move of the Holy Ghost, did we not? We had word, we had Holy Ghost, we had encounter, we had it all rocking. Now in Peter's church, it's a bit like that. And so when the Holy Ghost starts moving, I'm preaching one day and the Holy Ghost starts moving, even before I get up to preach, so you know it's the Holy Ghost. And as he starts to preach, as I said, before I get there, Pastor Peter's on, on the, uh, the stage and all the musicians have gone. Not one of them can stand up. And one of them has literally got their arms wrapped around the pulpit to stop them from falling. Right? The whole church has gone. The Scots seeing this thinking, oh my Lord. It's gone crazy. The zoo has gone crazy. And I could see Scott's face. And I'm thinking, well, I've seen this before. It's not a problem to me. But to Scott, it was all new. And it kind of freaked him out, just like it freaked some of you. So I gets up to preach, and Scott's looking at me thinking, what is my dad going to do now? And I don't know what he expected me to do. But all I did was just get my Bible, and I just said, okay, when you're finished, take your seats, and we'll resume. Calm. So I waited 10 minutes till everyone kind of composed themselves, got back to the seat, and carried on. Why? Because the Spirit does not override your will. At any time, you can get up if you want to. You can override it. It's up to you. So I gets up, brings some, uh, well, I didn't say bring calm because the, the, the atmosphere wasn't mad. But in Scott's mind, it was mad. So the night time, we're preaching and I didn't have a word to speak. And then during the day, I'm thinking, I haven't got no word. It just felt unright to speak. And I'm thinking, he's brought me over here to speak. What am I going to tell Peter? And I'm thinking, oh Lord, I know I'm not got to speak. So, Pastor Karen says, I said, it's going to be interesting tonight, Pastor Karen. She went, oh, yeah, we're expecting. I'm thinking, no, 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 you're misunderstanding. It's going to be interesting tonight because I don't have a word to speak. I know I'm not allowed to speak. Ah, oh, no drama. So I guess to Pastor Peter, gets at the church. He's already at the church. I said, Pastor Peter, what's in your mind? And he starts talking. I said, Peter, I'm not, I, I didn't have a chance to tell him he ain't got a word. Ah, oh, no drama. We'll just let the Holy Ghost go. So I'm thinking, but I haven't got a word to preach. You're going to do this and leave it to me. And then you're going to expect this message. Well, the Holy Ghost hits the place. And I'm talking, 400 people are under the power of the Holy Ghost. Right? And I'm thinking, this is why I didn't have to preach. And all I had was one prophetic word to give. And it was over Pastor Peter. That he was going back into the synagogues and he was going to get the stuffing kicked out of him. That was the prophetic word that God had gave me to him. I'm thinking, cheers, Lord. I haven't got to preach. All you're giving me is a word to tell him he's going back to the synagogues and you're going to end up getting the, you know, kicked out of here. Really encouraging word. Well, the advertisement is a prophet. It's their own fault. So Scott sees the spirit and he freaks out. And Pastor Peter walks over to him and Scott runs. Scott's running, and he's getting far away from Pastor Peter as he possibly can. And Pastor Peter can see it, and at one point, we didn't know where Scott went. And I, I says to one of the young ladies, says, can you do me a favor? I said, can you go and find a missing person? He's in the room. So she ends up finding him, and Scott was at the back. And he said, oh, Scott was, I was just taking pictures. Yeah, of course she was. Pastor Peter said, I saw his face, and it went white. I'm telling you all this for a specific reason. When Pastor Peter comes and joins with me in the Agents of Change, 
Scott in his heart was not for this. Wasn't against the person, just didn't feel comfortable with all this Holy Ghost. And I know that feels. In the agents of change, Scott gets touched by the Holy Ghost. As Scott gets touched by the Holy Ghost, he encounters God on the floor. As God begins to encounter him, we'd been talking to Scott about maybe doing some discipleship training with Pastor Peter. And I could see Scott's thinking, you're joking. You're going to put me under that environment for, the, for a year. You've got no chance. I'm going to come back different. Yes. That's the idea, son. So when we talked to him, we had a lot of conversations. And as a father, I'm just listening to what Pastor Peter's saying. And I'm just standing out because I don't want him to go on my word. But when he gets encountered, the Holy Ghost touches him deep. And he says, Scott, you'll rise from here and you'll go to Australia. And you'll go for a year. So now, Scott, I mean, as a father, my faith is challenged. I'm thinking he's going to give up his job. Do you know how our jobs are? And he's going to give up his job and he's going for a year. So we will write you a letter. And if you can help him with some sponsorship, it would be greatly appreciated. But he's going because he's been encountered. That's the point I'm making. He's not going because nobody told him. The Holy Ghost spoke to him. You will go. Now, you could turn around and say, well, we're, we're going through discipleship. Why didn't he stay here? Because the Holy Ghost told him to go there. You know, he's got to give up his job. It's a sacrifice. He's now dropping his net and following Jesus. For you to come through your discipleship, all you've got to do is come here. But he's got to go drop everything he's ever had and go to the other side of the world. Now, we as parents have got to get used to this. It's our faith. I mean, I've been challenged in my faith because part of my faith said, no, you've got to keep him here. I need him. So when I talked to Jonathan David about it, Jonathan David goes quiet for a minute. And when, when Jonathan David goes quiet on the phone, you know that he's thinking, I'm going to come back with an answer. You're not going to, I'm thinking he's going to say something now he's not going to like. So I says to, to Jonathan, I said, he's coming back. I said, he's going to, why? I said, because he's my resource. He's not Peter's resource. So he went, that's good. That's good. Let him go. So Scott's going. He's going in January. So I'll lose my boy for a year, but I'll get a man when he comes back. You've got to be encountered. You've got to be encountered by the living God. You have to be encountered. You will not come into discipleship unless you will not, uh, will not allow the Holy Spirit to encounter you. This is why over the last coming weeks, God has been encountering us more and more. This is why this morning he says, what are you doing here? Come out of your cave. As the Holy Spirit encounters you, you want to throw off the grave clothes and you want to become a discipleship. And the spirit of sonship begins to cry within you. Because for so long we've sat as believers. We've tried to draw on the promises of God and they've not fully worked. Why haven't they worked? Not because they're not true, because you will not become a disciple. Do you know the promises of God are circumstantial? How often God says, if you will, I will. So, how many of you know that uh, in the Bible, it's in 269 times the word disciple is used? 269 times. Do you know that? Only three times is the word uh, believers used. So when we look at the percentage, we see the word discipleship overwhelms any other type of person who's going to believe, follow, fans, whatever you want. Disciples is the key thing. So if the Bible can mention it 269 times, how many of you know there's an importance there? Amen? Now, how many of you know not all are prophets? Not all are, not all are pastors. Not all speak in tongues. Not all, can, not all do great exploits, but all can do great exploits. How many of you know not everybody is everything. But everyone is called to be a disciple. Everyone. Though you may not have a certain gift or a certain talent or a certain credential, you are all called to become a disciple. Everyone is called to be a disciple. And in Acts 12, 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem. And with them was 
John Mark. Now we read this last week and then in Acts 15, 37, he says, and Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and he had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they had parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and commended them by the brothers, by the grace of the Lord. They went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. John Mark had not yet become a disciple. He'd become a believer. His, he was, it, was his, it was Barnabas' cousin. So there was family connections. That's why Barnabas chose Mark, because of family. So he chose his heart rather than listen to his, sorry, he chose his head rather than his heart. His heart could show them, this boy deserted us. This boy deserted us. And why did he desert? Because maybe he hadn't gone through the process of discipleship. So later on, as you read the Paul's letters, Mark finally becomes ready. Why? Because he eventually goes through the process of discipleship. Many are not ready to go on the front lines of the battle because you've not yet been discipled. Yet you've been Christians 20 years. Hello? You're going to be a true disciple, a fruit-bearing disciple, then you have to be trained. It doesn't matter who you're next to. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter what credentials I might have or might not have. You don't have them. It's not what church you go to, what denomination you're part of. It's what's happening in you. So Christianity is a process. It's not moving again, Ralph. Oh, yay, yay, Holy Ghost. I think what it is, it's not picking up the, the signal because of the Z's in the way. <laughs> oh, we've lost the signal. Oh, it's gone. It's gone. Okay. New, new CD. Christianity is a process. It's not an event. Okay, Christianity is a process, it's not an event. In 1979, I received salvation, I became a Christian. David, my brother-in-law, brought me to God, to Christ. Second process, I then became a disciple in 1989. Many of us became believers, but we didn't become disciples. From discipleship, and then in 1995, I began to allow my life to be mentored under my pastor. Colin Carson. So I've gone from salvation, I've gone from discipleship, I'm now being mentored. Mentoring is all about skills. Yeah? Skills. Skill-based. And then I moved into the final process of fathering. Now what I'm saying is that my life has, has gone from process. From salvation to fathering. My life. The reason why I spoke to Jonathan David about my son is because I want to bring my life under somebody. I want to give him the opportunity to speak into my life. Is that not a wise thing to do? I want to show you that I'm not a maverick. I don't do things on my own. I have the elders who speak into my life. And I also have my spiritual father. And then I have my, my father, Jesus Christ. Father God, I should say. And so my life is one of submission, accountability, uh, transparency, and exposure. That's the life of a disciple. But so many of us don't want those stages. So what we want to do is become a believer. But we want the preacher's anointing. We want him to lay hands on us so we can do what he's doing, but we don't want his life. We want to skip the process. We, want, we think that because the preacher's here and he's laying it and he's sweating and he's giving you, a, you know what we call a two-towel sermon. He sweats that much that he fills the towel twice and he thinks if he spits or he sweats, it must be of God. And he lays his hands and people are shaking, but they get up no different. Why? Because there's no process. No process. Nothing. The vessel is empty. It can't contain anything. It can't carry anything. Why? Because the vessel's dirty. The vessel's dirty. Discipleship cleans the vessel. See, from mentoring to fathering, you don't only learn skills, but now you get your heart sorted. You get your motives, your agendas. And this is why it takes a father to raise a, a potential father. It takes a father to raise a disciple. It takes a disciple to raise a believer. Do you understand the process? Everyone must be looking to the next level. 
to the next level, to the next level. Because you'll only ever become a believer and an informed believer at best without discipleship. Now the problem is as we get older, we get more proud. Well, I can't look to, let's just say the pastor's 30, 35. And David, to my right, is in my eye line, looks at Paul, for instance. Now, David could have, could say, how can I let a young man, 35, father me? Well, the truth is at 35, he's not a father, spiritually speaking. Okay? He might be a good mentor. He might be great at raising disciples. But if David's just a believer, David still needs to put his life under the pastor right? Because that's the key and the door to opening up what he needs. But the older we get, we look at think, well, that's a young kid. I've raised more kids. Hey, I was doing this when you were in nappy, son. Yeah, and that's why you're still filling them. Because you've not been raised. It's not about age. It's about spiritual principles and stature. Amen? Because very often you will see even in Isaac, which is our network, you will see older men submitting to the younger men. It's a healthy pattern. It's not about age. Now, I can say a father, spiritually, is not going to be someone in his 30s. Why? He hasn't got the experience. He hasn't raised anything. The only thing he's raised is his backside off the bed at 35. That's no disrespect, Paul. I know you're not 35 yet. Because you need time and experience. Process. You must go through the process. Salvation. Discipleship. Mentoring, fathering. Paul says you don't have many fathers, but you have many guardians. So the church needs this process. So what we decided that in the church is, where are we up to? Discipleship. Yeah. We decided that everyone who comes into our church is going to enter into discipleship. Obviously they've got choices, but there is no choice for us. This is the way we're doing it. Discipleship is the, what we are pursuing. So what that means is that everyone must see that when they come to the church, that seat is not their security. This is their worst enemy. Because they'll sit their blessed assurance on there and they think because they come and that's their chair, because how many of you know everyone's got a chair in church? Right, And if I change my chair, it's not because you make me, it's because I choose. That's the mentality of church people. And that's my chair, and that this is my commitment today because I'm here. No, that's your responsibility. Read your Bible. Your responsibility is to come as a believer. So you can offer your worship to God. Read your Bible. Right? That, but that's not the role. That's not the, that's not the sole role of a disciple. A disciple is to go and make to reproduce, to advance. That's the role of a disciple, not to sit and listen. It will involve sit and listening, but it means when you've sat and listened, you must rise and go and do. That's what a disciple's all about. So what we think, because we've got a chair here and this is it, I'm committed. The command was not to sit, the command was to go. Amen? But the blessed assurance, Christian, will always be there. Because be assured, they'll always be there. But we decided that we would take people through a process. So when you first come into the church, you will come in as a saint. This is providing you're not, you're not a sinner. You've come in, you're a Christian. We're talking about Christian now, not someone who comes in who's a sinner. The sinner might come in and become a saint, okay? So we start with saint. You're a saint first. And then sainthood will determine a lot of things. We will teach the saints how certain things. We're moving them into discipleship. So discipleship is a process. Okay? So we move them from saints. Then we move them into servants. Can you see that? Saint becomes a servant. A servant must carry the spirit of honor and self-alignment irrespective of their circumstances. Now, to do that shows the disciples. The disciples now is beginning to change. Right? See, because the church has got a lot, of, a lot of fans, but not enough servants. And a servant isn't just someone who puts the chairs away. That's called someone who's putting the chairs away. Okay? A servant is, is the one who does the will of the Father. Hello? So, 
we're moving into servants because we've got a lot of believers who won't raise a, you know, a hand to do anything, right? From a servant, then we've got to try and help them to become a soldier, to stand in the battle, to choose the right battle. Some of you spend all your time fighting yourself and fighting God and blame the enemy for it. Yeah, poor devil. Those who understand the nature, cause, and outcome of fighting, I've got the bright battle. It should be the right battle. Well, it is a bright battle. <laughs> Glorious battle. Those who understand the nature, cause, and outcome of fighting a battle. You know, there's a cost to every battle, is there not? That's why Britain did not send more troops in for this latest potential conflict in Syria. We don't want to be involved. America, sort it out yourself. So now, but the final stage is sons. Now, Though it looks like the final stage, it's actually the beginning. Because the moment you become a Christian, the Bible says you're a son. But you've got the seed, you're a baby, but you've not yet matured. So to start that process, we start with the saint. You see what I'm saying? You start with a saint. So everyone, everyone in this room this morning is a... But not everyone in this room is a disciple. Do you understand that? A fan only follows until his team's doing well. Or his group is singing the songs and making the music they like. As they get older, they change the taste, don't they? Especially if you're the One Direction. Fancy calling yourself One Direction. That means by, by the nature of your name, you're only going in one direction. But the thing is, is not everyone in this room is a, is a saint, so is a disciple not everybody in this room has got servanthood on them y'all gone quiet over there talk to daddy now come on see in our house you have to wash the pots it's mandatory if mum cooks it you and I, I cleaned it now you wash it when I say cleaned it I shifted all the food on the plate I cleaned it that's my definition of cleaning the pots I cleaned it yeah, but Scott washes them. Why? It's the least he can do. When he goes to us, he'll realize he's got to clean the throne before he sits on it. He'll have a lot of servanthood. So when, I, when he comes back, when he comes back, if he tries to be lazy, I'll batter him. Why? Child abuse at that age is good. <laughs> For the record, it's just an analogy. 27, 28-year-old lad coming back should have some discipline, right? So we want servants, and we want soldiers, and we want sons. That takes time and process to develop. You're not going to get that just by teaching alone. Hello? Because if we could get that, we'd all be them people right now. So we want to... Bring a mechanism into church. I don't want to say program because I hate the word program. We want to bring a training into the house where we can begin to bring in authentic sonship. I say authentic because it's got to be real and genuine. Amen. Now, I know you all have jobs and you all have families, but it didn't say that in the scripture. It said, go and make, teaching everyone to obey. It didn't say, but some of them will have jobs. Go and make. So I know you all have jobs. I'm not stupid. I know you all have lives. But we're calling you to a higher life. A higher life. Which will involve you making choices and sacrifices and all those kind of things. That's the start of discipleship. You know, many of you will, will change anything you want in your home to go and do a course to get you a better career. You have no problem changing. Because you tell yourself that's what I need to do to get what I want. Right. Discipleship is no different. Discipleship is no different. Now I know you may work shifts so you can't come all the time. Well, I understand that. But where you can, you should. Once a month we'll run this authentic discipleship. We'll start with a teaching every Thursday. You will have a worksheet. Why? Because we've realized chalk and talk is not enough. Okay? So then what we'll do is, at the end of the month, 
The, the mechanics will, will go work out. You understand this? Which is only the principle. The mechanics will work out so it gets, so it gets clear and, and, and it works really well. But right now, I'm just telling you the general outline. Is that okay? We'll start on the first example with a teaching. Two weeks later, then we'll meet in what we call accountability groups where we can take the, the discipleship and where you can open up and talk in the, in the group, where we can see if you've gone through the worksheet and how, and that way we can change and twist and shape and form and develop. This is the potter's wheel. Amen? Because it's only in the changing and challenging of our lives do we really raise and challenge and change people. See, right now you're all sat here, and, and, and you know, at the times when you go silent, you're listening, and that's great. You can go home and you can say, what, a load of tosh. But in a group, we're finding out who's taking, who's learning, who's rising, who's got difficulties. How can we help? How can we strengthen? How can we change? This is where discipleship comes. That's why, he put, that's why Jesus had his three. Then he had his, his other group. Why? Because in, those three, in that, those three in that group, they came up with some right questions. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit on your right-hand side? Can you imagine asking him that? Go on, you ask him. No, no, you, I'll be in trouble if you ask him. Go on, you ask him. And you can imagine. And Peter, the things, you know, and the boy where shoes came out of his mouth, didn't he? He just walked into trouble. But he, was, he, had, he felt safe to ask. He felt safe to be able to, for Jesus to, tw into, to go into his life and turn it around and, you know, that's discipleship. That's discipleship. So, these groups will be like, for those who do MPOG, they'll be like that. You get into a group, that'll be your group. There'll be trust, accountability, you know, all those things. You protect what's going on in that group. No one outside that group knows. That's your group. Does that sound good? So, you build that trust. You build that, you know, that relationship. But this is the way... It has to happen because you'll never get discipleship without opening your life and sharing your life. It just doesn't happen. So we all need the work of a midwife. This is where sonship, all that needs a midwife. You need a midwife. Last week I spoke about the midwife, but then Melanie came out with a beautiful piece of instruction at the end. She said, it doesn't matter if the woman's ready, if the baby's not in position, no birth will take place. The voice of a midwife spoke. Discipleship is about getting you ready in the womb. Getting you in position and alignment so that God can birth you. And the only time you know the baby's on its way is when you hear the cry. The cry of sonship is what will determine whether you truly want to become a disciple or you just want to become a believer. Believers whinge and moan. But disciples cry. When a baby cries, it's a sign of life. It's coming. I'm here. Get ready for me. You've, you went and made. You made the baby. The baby was carried in the womb. Responsibility was given for the baby. But the baby, you have to wait until the baby is positioned before it can be birthed. That is your life. That's why many of us never become fulfilled. Because we're not in position in the womb. In Christian terms, you don't get nine months. You can get 25 years. You can get 30 years being carried in the womb until someone comes along and you allow them, the midwife, to turn you, to position you, so that the Holy Spirit then can begin to birth sonship and daughtership inside you. Discipleship is all about turning you. Amen? So the midwife puts her hands around the baby. She knows how to hold the head. She knows how to gently pull. She knows. She's trained. That's what discipleship is. Now, some of you will cry as you're coming out. Seriously, you will. You'll cry. Discipleship might get too, too close to you. And, and you think, but it's okay. It's okay. That's the cry of sonship. There's a cry of rebellion. There's a cry of sonship, when Moses, when Moses was on the mountain with Joshua, Joshua heard the sound of rebellion. But Moses heard that, sorry, Moses, uh, Joshua thought it was a sound of celebration. But Moses discerned, no, that's not celebration, that's the sound of rebellion. 
A midwife knows the difference. It's amazing how many times when you take the child to hospital or to the doctors and it's crying and screaming. And all the doctor's done is stood up. Because the child fears what could happen to him. But mum's saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. The, doctor, the nice man's going to help us. No! That's rebellion in the spirit. But as you, as you get, start getting older and, and you have to go for your, your jab, and she says, pull your pants down. She says, you just look that way. That's trust. That's trust, is it not? That's called exposure. That's discipleship. Because what's coming is going to do you good. It's going to protect you. Oh, you might get a, your eyes might open. That's the whole idea of discipleship. It opens your eyes. Okay? It'll sting, yeah, it'll hurt. Right? And as you bent over, is it coming? Is it coming? Is it coming? It's not coming yet. It's not coming yet. So they try and distract you, don't they? Oh, what's that on the roof? Boom! Ow! It's there, it's in. That was the hard part. Then the rest of that, you just. That's all you do. And then after that, you think, what was all the fuss about? Exactly. Until he asked you to get him to drop your pants again. When you're allergic to penicillin, and they do that, you feel like you're going to have a heart attack. I'm allergic to penicillin. And I remember the time when they did it, and I honestly thought I was going to die. And I thought, if that's going to do me good, I don't want it. So then the nurse said to me, ah, it's okay, you're only allergic to penicillin. Sit down. Sit down, I thought I was going to die. But you, we'll find out what you're allergic to. We'll find out whether you're allergic to love, to help, to discipline. We'll find out. Because when you start really freaking out on us, we'll say, oh, there it is, there, there's the disciple, there, there it is. Let God have that way right now. You're going, no, I don't want it. I don't want your stupid injection. That's when you go, okay, Holy Ghost, you're, on the, you're on, the, on the scene. You're exposing something and you'll try and run, but we'll come after you. Why? Because we've got the antidote to your rebellion and to your sin and to your fear and to your stupidity, dare I say it. Amen? Because everyone needs a tetanus shot every now and then. So the work of the midwife as we finish is to serve and become to serve and become, so you can become. I will serve, others will serve, you will serve, so we can become. Become what? Disciples. But you need to understand, I'm going to ask everyone to understand that you're part of the process. You are part of the process of coming to birth. And you must become equipped because there are territories for us to take. There's an advancement on our house. There is a clear call upon our life to go and make to influence the city, the nation. We must raise soldiers. You see, disciples become our resources. Without, you can't have soldiers without a disciple. You can't have a servant without a disciple. So if you don't go and make disciples, you have no resources to go to the front lines of the battle. So when people don't want to go to the front lines of the battle, they find a church that's not going to war. They'll find a church that's not going to war, that's not going anywhere, and they'll sit. Why? Because they get, now they change and think, I'm just receiving the goodness of the Lord. Yeah, but you're doing nothing with it. It's called a consumer. We eat what we don't grow, what we don't produce. You didn't produce the food you bought this week. You wear clothes you didn't make. We've, not become a, we've ceased to become a manufacturing nation. We're consumers. And the church has got the same mentality to consume the word but do nothing with it. And we don't make and we don't produce. You are called to produce. The first thing the tree was called to do in the garden was to, was to produce fruit. There's the pattern right there in the garden. Produce. Now the tree, there was the tree of good and the tree of bad. Yeah? Good. But each tree was called to produce. Each disciple was called to produce. He told Adam and Eve, Reproduce. He tells Christians, reproduce. Be fruitful. Stay in the vine. Without me, you can't produce anything. So everything about the Christian, the disciples' life is to produce. But we come to church and we call stay. Stay at home Christianity. Can't do it. Won't do it. 
I'm asking you to become responsible. I'm asking you to become accountable. I'm asking you to become reliable. Let me say that again. Three words. Ra. Responsible, accountable, reliable. That's what it takes to become a disciple. And last, and a very important one, is to make your home available if needed. We need places to meet. Places to meet. Your home, if you think, well, I can't get out, but we can, we can certainly make our house available. We will ship people over. We will. We'll get to you. Not a problem. If it's just about four people, five people getting in a car, we'll ship, you, ship them over so that a couple can be there every week or you know, every time we meet, should say. It's possible. It's doable. It's possible and it's doable. Amen? Do you believe we can do it? I know we can do it. All it takes is your attitude, your willingness. So when God said to you, what are you doing here? Come out the cave. Hello? Come out. How long is it going to run for? Until you've been made a disciple. Until we see soldiers, sons, servants rising. You see, a course says when we finish, that's it. That's why it's not a course. Once you finish your course and you still haven't made anything, where do you go then? But if you're making something, you don't stop until you're finished. True? Let's stand to our feet, please. Go make disciples. Teaching them to obey everything. Giving them authority. To go everywhere. Let's raise our hands if we will. The same God who called to us this morning with the spirit of encounter is the same God now still speaking. He says, what are you doing here, church? It's time to come out the cave. God's been using different analogies. Get in the boat, cross over, come out the cave. Different things. The same message is still the same. There's more. Grow. Take, advance, progress, but change. You must change. You must be transparent. You must open up your heart so you can become trained so that God's hand is upon your life. We're ready for encounter. We're ready for encounter. Holy Spirit, your word is honey to our lips. You told me, oh God, that you would give me honey. And the people would love the honey. And there would be a craving for the honey. And Lord, as you have said it, Lord, as the prophet spoke it into my life, Lord, I've seen and I am seeing the outward manifestation of that word coming to pass. That the people are beginning to taste the honey. Without tasting, there is no seeing. You say, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you use taste as a way of opening our eyes so we can share and see and appreciate and value the goodness of the Lord to his people. So my God, I pray, oh God, that you would, through the tasting, you would open our eyes to see the goodness and the mercy of God upon our lives. I pray for those who still feel hesitant, reticent, those who hold back their lives. Holy Ghost, I'm trusting you to pursue them. That you will not allow them to hide in the back of the cave where the rest of the, the body of Christ is moving forward. Holy Ghost, I'm asking you to make them uncomfortable. Pursue them, Holy Ghost. Give them no rest until they relinquish their hold upon their own life. Irrespective of age. Oh God, I'm asking you, oh God, to sift the church. Go through the church. My God, I'm asking you to go visit every person in the sound of my voice. Father, and those who are in, in different parts of the building, and those who are not here this, this morning for whatever reason, Lord, sift in order to raise. My God, the pursuit of discipleship is our pursuit. As it's part of building this governing church. Father, we will not let go. We will not draw back. We will not make excuses. If we start with 10, we start with 10. But, oh God, we're trusting you, oh God, for every member 
in the house to be encountered by the living God. Oh God, these are your people. And we ask in Jesus' name to encounter us. Come on, church, just, just join with me.